this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience and to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at helloiproperty.com. Your host today are myself, Brian Fox, and beside me is Carol Tallon. Thank you, Brian. We have another interesting lineup today ahead um, with some great guests, but I want to give you just a look at some of the things that are going on in the property market over the past few days. You might recall that we've spoken in recent weeks about local opposition to development plans, most recently in the context of um, Metro North project. Well, this time it's the Chapel Lizard residents who have galvanised to block a social housing complex on a site formerly used as allotments. The social housing planned is designated as strategic housing and as such does not need to engage in the usual rounds of public consultation and can go straight to board Planola. One local resident is quoted as saying, local democracy is dead in this situation because we have no planning process to avail of and as we would with another development. So the only option we have is now to appeal um, this to, to judicial review the council's decision and use emergency legislation. So the local residents there are feeling slightly pushed into a corner. So we'll keep a watching brief on this and let you know how matters progress. Um, also last week, it was reported that the Rebuilding Ireland three-year home loan fund had run dry within 12 months. Now, this was hotly refuted by the department, but now it appears that Fingal have actually stopped accepting applications for the government home loan after it transpired that the Dublin North Council has already approved loans worth more than £57 million. So that means Fingal... Um, had actually allocated more than 25% of the total fund available. Um, Also, you might recall last week we talked about data centres as a huge growth sector of the construction industry and that was following a publication of a Host in Ireland joint report which showed that the sector is expected to hit 1.3 billion in uh, 2019. But news broke earlier today that Clare County Council has rezoned land for a 400 million data centre outside of Ennis. So this 1 million uh, square foot centre will be the largest in the west of Ireland since the ill-fated Apple facility that never actually happened. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, Now, also on the mortgage front, it has been reported that mortgage interest rates will rise, making repayment difficult for some Irish households. This study by the ESRI and the Department of Finance examined the effect of the increased ECB rates and what it would have on those in mortgage arrears. But we will be talking more about this in a few moments with our first guest. Thanks, Carl. Well, our first guest this week is joining us all the way from Limerick, Sean Corbett, a sales director for Mortgage 123. So, Sean, thanks for coming all the way from Limerick this, morning, this evening. No problem. I spend a lot of time in Dublin anyway, so okay. it's a pleasure well, to be up here. Okay. Now, I suppose the first thing to ask you is, as as a as someone that uh, works in mortgages, is um, how does one go about getting a mortgage and how do you prepare for it? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, preparation is 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 key for uh, for getting a mortgage, uh, and and how you go about it is careful planning. Uh, a lender looks at a very short period of time to assess you for the ability to get a mortgage, and that's as short a period as six months. Mm-hmm. So if you prepare very well over a six-month period, then you can actually present yourself in the best possible light to to a lender. Um, things they're looking at in a six-month period are really your ability to save, um, your ability to show that you can actually maintain a monthly payment similar to the mortgage amount, uh, similar to the mortgage monthly payment. So so they assess that uh, and that's only one of the key areas that a lender would 
would look closely at. I suppose at. lenders are pretty tough in that area as well, uh, I'd imagine. They are, but uh, <clears throat> as sort of independent brokers, you see, uh, and we'd be very used to it, uh, every lender is different, believe it or not. Um, there's no such thing anymore as three and a half times your gross income is what you can borrow. Uh, there are lots of different factors, i.e. how much you're saving, mm-hmm. if you've got any loans, and believe it or not, having children is a big, uh, they penalise you for having a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and credit history, obviously, as well. Credit history is very important. And uh, anybody really looking to get a mortgage, it, it is worth going online and getting uh, getting something called your Irish Credit Bureau report. So it's icb.ie and actually applying for your credit report because, believe it or not, lenders sometimes get it wrong. They can give you a black mark when you shouldn't have a black mark against you. And that can actually oh, affect yeah, you yeah. getting a mortgage. And, and tell me, taking off your... your uh, your uh, mortgage broker's hat. I mean, is it advisable to go to a broker, or is it more complicated if, if uh, someone that wants to take a mortgage out goes directly to the to a bank to, to do it? I get asked this question probably. Well, I get asked this question every day. What what does a broker do? Uh, a broker, in essence, works for the customer yeah. to get them the best possibility. If you're an independent broker, it means you've got access to every bank. Um, and then if you're a broker that doesn't charge, as we don't, then you, you're just given free independent advice, but you're working for the customer rather than for the bank. Uh, whereas if you go direct into a bank, you've only got access to one bank and, and one lot of rates because rates vary hugely out there. But as I said earlier, the way a lender assesses how much you can borrow varies hugely from bank to bank. But are there, are there, is there much competition now in the mortgage area? There is huge competition. Really? Uh, with rates, rates are starting at 2.3% now for instance, for a fixed rate. Who's, who's um, I have to ask there, who's getting 2.3% or 2.6%? Ulster 2.6%? Bank have got the best two-year fixed on the market at the moment and, and they'll still even give you uh, 1,500 euros help with costs and a free valuation. So they're really, Ulster Bank really became competitive last June, in June of 2018. Um, but they will penalise you heavily for having children. So they're not the most forgiving hmm. on affordability. Okay. So then you could so look at... So we got, I got to ask, why are they so uh, hard, tough on children? <sighs> I, I'm actually going to jump in yeah. here, Sean, before yeah. Sean even answers, I'm going to say one of the reasons they're so hard on children, on people having Parents children having is children, because yeah. we've allowed our childcare costs in Ireland to be so disproportionate yeah. compared to any other jurisdiction oh, yeah. in Europe okay, but yeah. sorry Sean go ahead yeah, and even that uh, cost of clothing for kids okay. I've got two boys yeah. and and uh, but if you have an if you have an income that shows you can cover all that all those sort of children's overheads surely it is and that's where it becomes a little bit more complicated and it's a daunting process sometimes for a person getting a mortgage because a lender looks at two types of income one is your gross income so your gross income, what you earn before paying tax. And then they look at your net income, what's left over after you've paid tax. But your childcare costs and the cost of having a child and supporting a child comes directly off your net income. So so it reduces your affordability. So when a lender is looking at, you, you can only borrow so much against your, your net disposable income. Uh, and, and that's what a lender looks at. So if you're taking your child care costs, mm-hmm. and, and even when you're looking at the cost of a child, it's about €450 Euros per month for some lenders per child. So you can imagine if you've got three children, they're taking... They're taking yeah. nearly thirteen, fourteen hundred euros off your net disposable income. And that's, the, that's a huge difference. What's yeah. the lending environment yeah. like out there? Because I do remember years ago, you you had to have a state pension before you're a state 
salary mm. before. You had a fairly good job and a fairly tied down job before they were willing to talk to you. I don't, is that the same atmosphere at the moment? No, uh, they are favouring the higher earners uh, for things called stretches in income. So you, you can actually get, believe it or not, up to four and a half times your income now, which is outside central bank guidelines. Central bank guidelines are three and a half, but lenders can give an exception. What they call an exception is one in five mortgages can be done as an exception. So they can go over and above central bank guidelines. Okay. And Sean, just on that, I saw uh, it was actually the lead story in the Sunday Independent this week that um, a mortgage broker, I think in Kildare, came out and said that the the exemptions, the central book, uh, the central bank exemptions, are likely to run out in the next few weeks. So, as in the year's worth yeah. of exemptions are likely to run out before the end of this month. Is that is that in any way accurate? No, lending is. I've I've noticed a big upturn in people wanting to get mortgages uh, and and getting approval for a mortgage. Um, but no, I don't see the the exceptions running out in the next few weeks. Uh, we were still getting exceptions from Ulster Bank in December, and they're meant to be gone for the year. But we were getting them for the whole of the year from somebody. Else. So, uh, exceptions. Uh, are per lender. So one lender could still have some uh, exceptions left. So if you need one, if you need a stretched income, but other lenders could run out earlier in the year because they've used up their book. And and again, that goes back to your question about why use a broker. We'd know which lenders have got mm. exceptions oh, left. Okay, so then and we go towards them. Yeah, so. and look, that's that's a fair point. But Sean, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a difficult question now, and I don't even know if there is an answer to it. Um, you mentioned there that the, the banks want to see that you can sustain a mortgage, so they're asking for you to show savings of X amount but where do our exorbitant rent payments sit in the in the whole scheme of saving for a deposit and showing showing that you have the funds and there is a magic answer believe it or not Uh, that's always good to hear if uh, if you're renting they'll take the rent you've been paying into account to prove your affordability on a monthly basis because that rent is clearly going to finish when you move into your home. Um, there is even then, people's parents are helping them a lot now. I see it in the, in the marketplace and you can get up to a 100% gifted deposit now. So, so even if you haven't got savings in the background and you've just got rent that you've been paying, you could potentially still get approved by a lender. And you can look at the help to buy schemes, uh, albeit it's running out the end of this year. Well, if, hopefully if, not. Yeah. We still have we still have uncertainty around that, but no. we're still somewhat hopeful. No, fingers crossed. I know uh, AIB are lobbying to have it extended, um, but that that scheme can give you up to five percent of the purchase price as well. So, so you might not. You might only be saving two, three hundred euros a month over the last five years, but you've accumulated quite a nice sum. But then in that instance, we'd take your rent into account and that would prove your affordability. But when you're looking at lenders, there's a stark difference as well. For instance, Ulster Bank, if your new mortgage was going to be a thousand euros a month, you've got to prove that you're able to, Mm. you've been paying 500 euros a month. If it was permanent TSB, if you're, it's going to be a thousand euros a month, you'd have to demonstrate you've been used to paying 800 euros a month. So there's a huge difference lender to lender. Huge. huge. Okay, but so it, I suppose that's the value of an independent broker that's going to to shop around and actually explain the differences because obviously for first-time buyers, um, they're just not aware of that. And I think for a lot of first-time buyers, certainly they will go to 
the bank that their parents or, or that they themselves yeah. I mean look I'm talking about their parents this was probably a decade ago when our first time buyers were in their 20s yeah. now these are people that have a 20 year um, relationship with yeah. the bank by the time yeah. they're applying for a mortgage yeah. um, but okay you've mentioned there the requirements for six months how is that different if you're self-employed? Well, self-employed, same comes into, uh, same applies if you're looking at your monthly affordability to demonstrate you can actually, you've been saving for a six-month period. They'll still look at six-month bank statements to look at your, to look at your, how you conduct your your own personal affairs within your bank account. They go into that in quite some depth, which I'll come back to in a second. Self-employed, you really look over last two years on your income. Uh, so what have you declared on your accounts over the last two years? Uh, and then you take an average of the last two years as how did assess your income multiples. Um, but then lenders vary hugely. Again, if you're a limited company, they can take your drawings into account, plus your net profit, mm-hmm. plus your depreciation. But only some lenders allow that. Um, so it's... Uh, and is it difficult for self-employed people to get mortgages? It, it, it's... <coughs> it's it, a little bit more difficult because uh, nobody likes paying tax, but uh, they go on your on your income before tax, okay. not on your gross before deductions, mm-hmm. i.e., before you before you have all your write downs. So, and a lot of people get that wrong. They think their they think their self employed accounts are showing fifty k, for instance, on a on, on their on their gross mm-hmm. income mm-hmm. when it's not. It's probably twenty five after you take all your uh, all your deductions off it. So there there is. It varies. It is, it, and it, it, you need to look very closely because, uh, and a bit more difficult, but not not undoable. Again, we do a lot of self-employed people. Could you just go back to the three point five we're talking about there with the central bank, a, a year limit on on, uh, on on the mortgage? Any sign of that to any any um, expansion on that? Do you think at the moment, or is it, 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 it any? Noises from government in relation to that at all? No, and I think it is a little bit unfair because they're doing, uh, it's 3.5 times your income, whether it's a single income or a joint income. So, and I get a lot of people complaining who haven't got a partner and saying, well, I can only get an apartment for 200 when my sister's married and she can get an apartment for 400 because they're taking both incomes into account. Sorry. So it's. uh, Is it effective, do you think? Is it effective in terms of is it is it effective in terms of um, reducing um, people buying going into the market to buy at the moment, or is that the is that the effect it was intended to have? Yeah, there are ex- as, as as we spoke about there are uh, exceptions, so you can get more than three point five. You can yeah. get up to four point five. Four point five. Sorry, uh, it, yeah. it, it it is responsible lending in in the well what what lenders call responsible, but. Uh, but it's uh, 3.5. You can, you can get a lot now. And uh, um, You might have seen, Sean, that uh, Cork developer Michael O'Flynn was quoted in the papers just over the last few days saying that the 3.5 times income cap is really quite restrictive and realistically it should be 4.5. What do you make of that? Well, clearly the, the central bank are allowing 4.5, but where does it stop? It's uh, uh, we, We'd... Uh, We'd clearly love the people to borrow as much as they like, but what what people forget very quickly is uh, you can borrow the money, but you've got to give it back at some point. And, and what uh, about supply, though, as well? I mean, are there sufficient houses out there in the market to... to no, there's a little bit of... I, I find a little bit of panic buying at the moment. Oh, um, Why? Uh, what's be, the, because what's there's the such a short, oh, short supply of of a particular type of property. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I find the 200,000 to 500,000 mark, there is panic buying around those type of properties because they're few and far between. Uh, we, we had a gent trying to buy in uh, NACE uh, 
during the week and the house was on the market for 340 and it ended up going for 420 in Nice County Kildare that's it yeah. mm. so it's, uh, the one thing we haven't touched on so far is uh, switching lenders is, yep. is that difficult to do is it worth, worth it I mean it's like switching banks it's, it's, a, it's a fairly <laughs> yeah. uh, switching it can you're still supplying the same paperwork as if you're applying for a new mortgage so so the paperwork side of things can be a little bit daunting oh, really? Really? Uh, however it is worth doing if you're paying a rate of in excess of 3% at the moment, you mm. should really consider switching because you can make some considerable savings. And what we're doing mostly now, rather than people saving on a monthly basis, we're actually taking years off their mortgage. So so okay. you you could come yeah. to us for a switch. You might be on 27-year term left. We'd, we'd save you sufficiently. So you now have 23 years left on your mortgage. Mm-hmm. So it's worth gathering a little bit of paperwork, finding a broker to do the heavy lifting uh, and, and then for the sake and of... Are there any penalties then associated with switching at all? There can be if you're in an existing fixed rate mm, uh, mortgage. That's the, that's the, that's the key. One, yeah. uh, and we're very careful on that uh, to to make sure that people know exactly. If you're on a variable rate, it's highly unlikely there's any, there's any breakage fees. But if you're on a fixed rate, there potentially could be. Mm. And we'd look at that very very carefully because you, you don't want it to be a, a non-commercial exercise either. Mm. And uh, really, how long, how is the, how, do you use the internet much now yourselves do you, from the point of view of, of uh, brokerage? I mean, um, would, a, would a lender find you on the internet as such? Us as a broker or... Uh, as a broker? Yeah, we, we, we get most of our inquiries now off, uh, off the internet. Uh, we have a... We've a, we've a well, he does have one of the catchiest titles as well for mortgages. But it could, it could be it could be associated too with yeah. a, with another type of company as well. No, no. Well, mortgage no. mortgage one two three. You see, we have uh, live chats and everything on our on oh, our website. You? So oh, it's right. uh, and we we get a lot of and people can apply online through our through mortgage one two three dot ie. So very good. And Sean, before we let you go, I'd really like to add some value here to people who are thinking of buying this year. Um, the six month lead in time. Can you give us a few tips just of what buyers and potential house hunters should be doing to prepare? Yeah, they should be uh, they should be looking at their their bank accounts uh, and 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 don't be afraid of sort of going to the wire on your bank your personal bank account, but be be careful of things like online gambling. Believe it or not, uh, lenders hate it. So I know we're in Cheltenham week, mm-hmm. so that's probably quite appropriate this week. So avoid online gambling. Uh, make sure if you're paying rent to make sure your rent is coming out of your current account, uh, and make sure you save as much as you can on a monthly basis to show that. You're so show your ability to a lender that you're a you're, you're a good prospect for them because they will look at the six months and and look at how well you maintain your accounts and so on. And I presume restrict all those uh, Americanos out. Yeah, you can't live for six months. That's the key with getting a mortgage in Ireland at the moment. It's uh, yeah, you live after you've moved into your nice new home. So that's uh, that's the trick because money is cheap now at the moment. You can you can borrow half a million euros o- over thirty years at two point three percent. It's going to cost you, believe it or not, less than two thousand euros per month. So money is cheap. Great chance. Some very okay. interesting information there. And that was Sean Corbett, sales director from Mortgage One Two Three. Stay tuned. After the break, we have Dara Lynch of Dara Lynch Architects. Dublin South FM. Oh, will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky. <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. Oh, <laughs> well, take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? 
Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union, where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Our next guest now is one who's worked in various places of the world and came back to Dublin to start his own architectural firm. Dara Lynch is founder of Dara Lynch Architects. You're very well, well welcome to the show, Dara. Thanks, Brian. It's got nice to be here. Um, well, let will just start by, by asking you, because recently there's been, you've been granted planning permission for a series of six muse houses in Malahide. Tell us more about those. Yeah, I'm kind of keen to talk about it because I think it's a good, positive uh, news story about how you can use uh, the planning system uh, collaboratively together to get a better outcome than you ever would uh, if you were dealing with them on your own. Okay, Dara, and you know, I'm going to take you back a step there because there will be people listening maybe that... Don't that aren't aware of the project you did and that didn't read that fabulous feature in the Irish Times you had last week. So you might just explain from the start uh, what the project was and who it involved. Yeah, so there's a Muse Lane in Malahide uh, and uh, it it had permission for two or three houses on one side of the Muse Lane. So a planning precedent was set for that side of the lane. But on the other side of the lane, there was no such precedent. And and one of my future clients applied for planning permission as only did a solo run and it got refused planning permission. Uh, and one of his neighbours came to me and said, uh, you know, uh, this guy has got refused. Does that mean that we're all goosed? And I just, I reviewed the planning file. I reviewed the reasons uh, for refusal. And uh, there was three. There was one to do with design. There was one to do with traffic. And then there was one to do with precedent collaboration and so on. So I, I told them that I don't think that you're goosed. <laughs> I think you can, you can get permission here, but you need to collaborate with your neighbours. And in like... A lot, a lot of different places around the country, there was a very adversarial attitude to planning. Uh, people were very defensive um, and very aggressive in, in, in making their, their defences. And it wasn't a, a usual approach. So what, what uh, my... What, what they did was, as a group, was they, they came together as a, as a client body of six uh, neighbours, all side by side. And they engaged with me to develop a master plan for 
the, the Muse Lane. So what we did was we we generated the design for a generic house, um, knowing that that house needed to to fit the needs of six different, completely different individuals in the future. But we set up a template on the road to make a, a street, to make a road, to deal with the drainage, to deal with the traffic and to deal with the height and the scale of the development. So the, the planners actually were very positive and very helpful. And the reason they were helpful was because it, it did most of their work for them. Well, as well as that, you were presenting as almost a property development group for all the world. So you were de- you were um, handling the issues that normally planners individually would need to do with all different applicants. And I presume they knew that there obviously wasn't going to be local objections on that particular stretch of lane. Yeah, well, it's it's funny. There, there, there were objections from from people who had who been granted permission on the lane, which which is kind of extraordinary uh, uh, to one extent. And there was very vigorous objections by their neighbours on, on you know uh, um, that were uh, facing the, the, them on the on their if you like, on the on the other main street, a block across from the Muse Lane. Um, so, uh, and, and like very many areas of Dublin, there was a group of people who were very aggressive in their at- attacks on any change. And I understand that change is is challenging for people, but we, we worked very hard with our neighbours trying to demonstrate that the change was minimal and the effect it was going to have on people. But I, I presume uh, from the other point of view that a lot of this was essentially infill, which means if the, the local residents hadn't come together to develop it, it was likely it was going to be eyed up by a property developer to come in and develop. Well, it, it, probably not, Carl, because um, it, there were six individual sites. So it's very okay. difficult for a developer to come in and, and negotiate all that together. That was the beauty of this project. Yeah. Because we all, all our client meetings were with all six people all around the table. They were able to roll up their sleeves. And I'm not saying it was an easy process. It was very difficult challenges, which might come on to, but they were able to collaboratively work together. And the secret of it was the goal of the prize at the end of the day was always bigger than the problem that we were trying to solve. And okay. that was the key to success. OK, I have to ask the base question. Were people doing this um, as a money-making strategy? Were they doing it uh, because they wanted a house to trade up or down into? Were they thinking of the next generation? What was the motivation behind your clients here, well, your individual clients? Yeah, so there were six different clients and six different motivations and, and they were common to anywhere else. So, f- for example, it they, they could have been uh, someone who, who wanted to liquidate some of their assets, get a site and sell it. Uh, they could have been someone who wanted to downsize and, and that was uh, that was a, a great move because there's no way in that area of Malahide you'd ever get a house mm. at with the design bespoke around your very needs right beside where you used to live. It was a great yeah. opportunity for some people. Some people wanted it for their children. Some people wanted it for a rental property. There was, there was lots of different scenarios. And so we, we built that into the design and that was the, uh, I guess that was the key factor in the in the individual house design. We, we designed it so that all of the bits of the house that didn't change, so the toilets and the stairs and the driveway and the entrance and the front door, all, the, all, all those bits that every, every Every house had to have remained a, a, a continuing, repeating element up the street. So you got this rhythm to the street and had this urban scale. Um, and then the bits that could change or the people wanted to change, so the, the living rooms and the bedrooms, uh, they were squishy and, and we could we could make them bigger or smaller depending on people's needs without disturbing the overall feel and rhythm of the street. So that was quite a good strategy. And that's an interesting one because you mentioned that one of the earlier grounds for um, objection or or sorry, by rejection 
impact not, um, mm. by by um, planning was design. I, I know you mentioned traffic as well, but design. So what in the past had failed in terms of design and how did you correct it? So there was a, a big thing. It, it, the, the, the main houses uh, to the Muse were in an architectural conservation area. And there was the big issue was the size and the scale of the intervention and, and the number of them. So that, that was, and of course, uh, when people go for planning permission, they always want more than they're allowed. So it was a constant process of 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 trying to get back to a place where the planners were going to be happy with it. And and that and from an architectural point of view, yeah. that was the relationship between the height and size of the muse dwelling to the the main primary house, which was the main house on the other end of the of the site. You see, I think that's something that a planning professional can bring to the mix. They understand that planning is a negotiation; it's not an absolute. And I think that individuals going for planning don't realise that. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely a negotiation and it's a it's a circuitous route to get to something that you can mutually yeah. agree on between the planners and yourselves. But this is probably where bringing the professional element in lifted it. Yeah. Also, you know, not all the all the garden walls were parallel. So at one end of the muse, the gardens were all a little bit tighter than the other end of the muse. So if you applied the the rule of law to this, not everyone would have got permission. But because it was that set piece and that th- there was a common, a kind of um, uh, attitude and scale and size that people were trying to achieve, the planners were actually able to be a little bit more flexible about uh, the, 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 um, the absolute amount of private open space, for example, uh, associated with the with the Muse House, that that there was a little bit of flexibility in that they they recognised the difference that at one end of the uh, of the lane the gardens were a little bit tighter than the other end of the lane. Okay. Uh, so that that was something that uh, if you attacked it as an individual, it would have been uh, probably a deal breaker. Well, uh, I can see from the planner's point of view that it might have been, and so I can see from the planning authority point of view the advantage of you being there, but. For you as a professional, you had six clients all working towards the same goal. But I presume even within that, there were competing interests, as in there were things. It, it can't all have been unanimous in reaching no. the plan that was finally submitted. Yeah, so f- f- a big thing, for example, was traffic. So the, the Muse Lane is 120 years old. It varies from about five and a half metres to 5.3 metres. And uh, we did a negotiation with, with Fingal Traffic that said we needed six metre road corridor. So, so that meant that they had to move their back wall mm. back uh, a certain amount. Uh, um, they were losing garden space, then obviously, right? They were losing garden space. It's and like that bus connects at the moment. <laughs> and and uh, that was that was difficult enough for people to swallow. Yes, but, but the fact that they had to take the hit on their side of the lane, mm. and people who had a, a precedent on the other side of the lane didn't get hit, and that was difficult to handle for but them. You know? The only thing is, was that only the six houses um, who were affected by this? Yeah. So yeah. you weren't asking anybody who wasn't affected or who wasn't actually party to this planning. You weren't asking any of those to give up part of their no, garden. No, no. Uh, so so the, 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 the six of my clients um, had to take all of the hit, but other people benefited from that, obviously, mm. because you got a, a wider lane. Well, they also benefit. Of course they did. Of course they did. And, and there was always this tension. You know, if you, if you had to do it on your own, that's what you'd have to do. Yeah. Um, and also, like I said before, the end goal... Uh, was much 
was a much bigger prize than the sacrifice that she had to make. Right. So everyone was looking at, at a, a very valuable site with planning permission, which effectively was a winning lottery ticket. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's the, the, the investment in my fees was probably the best investment they've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dara, I think, I, I genuinely think this is a masterful way um, for us to actually use parts of the city that are undeveloped or underdeveloped. I think it's absolutely masterful. But um, I think I read about this project the same week that the government um, issued their guidelines and their report on housing options for the for our ageing population. And one of the things that really struck me is that this is the ideal scenario for people who wish to downsize because we have areas at the moment where we know that people are, are essentially, um, they're not being forced to but they're certainly being asked to and and in time they will be incentivized to, to move out of their home into something smaller and more suitable and free up that home for a family going in and that only works if we can pe- keep people in their area. Now you were essentially keeping them at the end of their garden. Mm. Uh, exactly. And more important than that, Carl, we were giving people a house that, that dealt with all those accessibility issues that you, you face. So mm. they were getting a modern house right exactly where they lived, right beside the friend and neighbours, right beside Malhide Village that was going to be energy efficient, it was going to be comfortable, but it was set up for their particular needs. So it was one of many similar houses, but it was perfectly designed around their particular need. And that was in an area of conservation. Would you get involved with another, with a similar project again? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, With all that, with all those headaches. Actually, it was quite inspiring working with this group of people because they they were actually very good at making decisions and they were very good at tackling the challenges. So I had to spend a lot of time explaining, uh, you know, explaining the, the context in which these things come up and, and the, the the flexibility that we have. There's there's some things like... And did you have to sell them the concept then as such? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the six metre road, yeah. I, I'd argue that back from eight and a half metres. So they, yeah. they started off looking for eight and a half metres. We agreed six. So it was six or bust. Um, so, and that was hard for some people to tackle other people it didn't make that much difference to but when you look at the detail of each scheme and each garden and the garden shed and my entrance and all this kind of stuff it did had a, a, a kind of material effect but it also had a psychological effect on people you know because there was a smack of being slightly uh, hard done by and that they were the guys who had to give all the time but like I said the prize the goal at the end of the What's day was much day? better than, than whatever they had to swallow Oh, Dara, this is definitely one of the most interesting things and one of the most useful solutions that I think could be rolled out um, by individuals uh, right across, not just Dublin, but in in many urban towns around Ireland. Um, So I suppose one of the things that I definitely want to deal with there is you mentioned that you had objections and quite Mm. strenuous objections. How were they overcome at early stages? Well, there was a, a, I guess there was a group of people uh, who who didn't want anything to change, and it's their right as citizens to to act on that basis. Were these uh, people living along the lane? Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. D- did you so have no, any no, objections no, from people not living along the lane? No, there were, there were people living along the lane who objected, but but didn't bring us to the board. The people living on the on the main road, I guess, um, were were part of a group who um, con. con- constituted the architectural conservation area. They, they wanted it to, uh, to be an architectural conservation area. So they wanted to protect that aspect. Now, in, in my view, the, the, the development we were doing 
had absolutely no impact on that. That's how and, good and, it has. Yeah, and yeah. that was supported yeah. by the board ultimately. <clears throat> but unfortunately, you know, that that uh, was a, a, a nine month delay to the process. But it's it's a necessary delay in order for people to exercise their their rights as citizens. And they made their arguments. And to, we the, made to, the, to the county council, to the board, to the board. To the board. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. 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 So uh, again, we we had to do photo montages that cost extra money. Uh, we had to do extra drainage work that cost extra money. But as a group, there was an economy scale uh, to that, that helped everyone get over the line on that. Again, if you were doing it as an individual, it would have been quite expensive, but that's, that cost was able to be spread across the group. And likewise, the services in, in the lane, there's a lot of drainage work, uh, drainage design to be done to, to comply with Fingal drainage standards. And again, it, we had one engineer doing all the work and that was, um, that was really helpful. Okay, and uh, look, I think you've hit on something that's quite emotive, particularly in Dublin, and that is this concept of preservation. Preservation and progress are not mutually exclusive. And yet that's something that Dublin residents, particularly if we look at, say, George in Dublin or even pockets of the Liberties, mm-hmm. or there are areas around Dublin where we need to communicate this message that we can have um, preservation and progress. How, how, do you, how do you deliver that? Well, I think it's um, I think good design delivers that. I mean that that and that's really what architects bring to this. Uh, design is a problem-solving tool that that actually can uh, allows people actually interact with with these difficult, um, contradictory, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, elements that they have to deal with. So, um, in in terms of conservation area, um, there, there's nothing wrong with, with building good modern architecture as an intervention into an historic context. But you need to be clear about what's historic and what's modern. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think the key is doing quality intervention, uh, and we've seen so many uh, kind of poor interventions in in the, in the past that that do no service uh, like fake George windows and mockery and, and pastiche and so on that that does no one any favours I think but actually having a clear contemporary uh, intervention that represents our time in the overall historical context that'll be seen as that and in time that will become protected I hope um, uh, and, and and so the the world turns, you know. That's look. That, it, it's a part of urban living as well. I think sometimes we need to get on board with the fact that if you're living in part of a dynamic city, that it is ever evolving. Mm-hmm. And in fact, last week I we were involved in debating um, the skyline and and the raising heights in Dublin, mm-hmm. and the same issue came up. And um, Dara, I have to ask: Have you have you visited the new um, number one Sir John Rogerson's Key? Visit? No, I haven't. Now, there, that to me, I think everybody who has an issue about how um, historic Dublin can be conserved needs to go down and visit that building and see what Hibernia Reit has done. I mean, it is the building is truly spectacular while keeping the outer wall, that iconic outer wall um, inside this courtyard. You have a living wall that opens up into a contemporary office space that is truly world class. And I think it is the absolute perfect marriage of progress and preservation mm. and it's it's the model that we need to be looking at. So um, Dara, before we let you go, because I hope that this is an inspiring story, so I hope that this will have inspired local residents. How, what's the first step to, to doing something like this for residents? Mm, exactly. Well, well, I guess it's been clear about uh, where you want to go. Um, so it's been clear about what you're trying to achieve and and what's at stake. 
because the thing that got us through this whole process was the prize at the end of the day was bigger than any problem that we came across. And and I guess it's it's a, a more kind of democratic de- democratic form of of collaboration. If, if you can see everyone else around the table is yeah. willing to, to take the hit yeah. and make a hard decision and move on, it makes it a lot easier for you to do that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank Darren, you so much. Thank, You're very welcome. From Darren Lynch Architects, thanks so much for being on the show today. After a quick break, we'll be hearing from Amanda Mo- Bone. She is founder and director of Amanda Bone Architects. FFM. Do you play bridge? But why not join us for a game at the Don Marmion House in Dundrum every Thursday from 7.30 to 10.30. We're just opposite the Dundrum Town Centre on the Sandyford Road. No partner is required and a joker available. And it's only €5 per person, including light refreshments. That's Bridge at the Don Marmion House in Dundrum every Thursday, 7.30 to 10.30. Oh, will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky, <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. Oh, <laughs> well, take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free, and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Do you need a professional-looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices, such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com. Everything's fine on 93.9. Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or email hello at property at iPropertyRadio.com. Uh, Science Studio at now is founder and director of Amanda Bone Architects and da- a design studio tutor in the School of Architecture. Amanda, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, tell us, you do you build houses uh, in rear gardens of existing family homes. Tell us about that. Well, um, in terms of my own practice, um, I've just seen an increasing number of people uh, coming to me to inquire and build um, new houses in kind of side gardens or rear gardens or part of the lands of existing family homes, which seems to be a very clever idea because at the moment, particularly in Dublin, trying to find a site for one, it's impossible. Of course. And then trying to purchase a site. I mean, it's just going to be extremely expensive. So what a lot of parents are doing is is, is, is handing over or giving over a slice or, or, or selling a part, of, a, 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 a part of their site. Um, and as well, I suppose, a lot of the housing developments that were developed in, in the 70s and 80s have much larger sites than you'd find at residential housing schemes now. So particularly with corner sites. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you, Amanda. And are you seeing this more because um, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about um, since the government issued a report on um, housing options for our ageing population. We know that people need the flexibility to be able to, to trade up as well as down. But we want to be able to keep people within their own communities. So obviously building on infill sites that they already own is an obvious solution here. So you mentioned there that they're doing it for the next generation. Have you come across many people who are actually using this excess land to build something maybe that's more geared to them as as they age? Um, I do actually and some clients are, 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 are looking to build a, a smaller home than they're in and then um, in that case people are generally looking to, to, to build a new build and once that's finished then to sell on the larger family home whereas the younger clients who are doing it I suppose they see it as a, as a more cost effective way of, of having a home in an area yes that they that they did grow up in, um, and that they, and that they they want to live in, but I suppose the one thing I'm 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 seeing is that people in general don't have a clear understanding of what it costs to actually build their own home, and a lot of people think that um, it's actually cheaper to build than to buy, um, and so most of my queries and discussions um, with people relate you know around the cost because people are are well informed in terms of what a three, four, five bedroom house in the particular area where they're from costs. To buy. To buy. Yeah. Um, and yet they think that by building themselves that they're going to save money. When I mean, they may have been given a site, but in terms of actually building, it's not going to be any um, cheaper than is, actually is buying Is that a the site. reality at the moment that yeah. even if you're being gifted a site, you can't build a house cheaper than you would buy it in Dublin? I'd have to say yes. I mean, I've one example of a house that's that's um, going to be finished actually in the next two weeks, but it was tendered out over two years ago. So just before everything turned and where building costs became a lot more expensive, and in terms, uh, um, the tender they got a good uh, tender and the house will be finished and it will probably be worth twice what it cost them to build. But they're purely the exception. Okay. In, in and terms, can yeah. I ask where that yeah. is, Amanda? Where are they? Um, they're based in South County Dublin. Okay. Um, but that is purely an exception um, uh, from anything that's been built now. Um, due to the cost of the building, if you want to get something that's of good quality construction, um, well, then it is no cheaper um, uh, than actually going out and buying a house. But the advantage of it is that, you know, most people only do this once. Um, it's an enormous investment and you're going to get a house that's unique and that's very much tailored to you and your family because people who are buying the kind of uh, the developer built houses they can generally find, you know, they're not uh, within a year or two, they're looking to actually do more work to their house because it doesn't quite suit their needs. But the advantage of a one-off is that you're getting something, as I said, that is completely tailored. Custom built, basically. Custom built, Well, I I think as well as that, um, first-time buyers, when they move into a home, um, most people, even if you've been renting independently for 10, 15 years, uh, owning your own home is slightly different. And I think there is an element of not actually knowing what your requirements are until you're in it. And I think that's why sometimes first-time buyers don't have a very good or very clear idea of their property and how they're going to use it. Whereas when you have people who've been living in their own home for maybe 10 years, they, they've they spent much of those 10 years planning how they would do things slightly differently. So, uh, Amanda, are your clients, would you have many first-time buyers or do they tend to be people trading up or down? I suppose the majority of my clients um, would be, they wouldn't be first-time buyers, no. So no, they, they would be people looking to either expand 
get a bigger house mm. or, as you said, kind of downsize. Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine they're very clear because they will know from the house they currently have, they will know how they use it. They will know what ages their children are and how the rooms have had to adapt. So they're probably very clear on what they're looking for. They, to a certain extent, I suppose that's the advantage of using an architect because that's how you work with your architect. You work through the brief and it's through working together. I mean, it's, it's a very much a collaborative process that you can actually find out maybe things that you thought that you wanted actually aren't necessary. And then you'll come across things that you never even thought about. So it's very much working through that um, to figure out exactly what your needs are. But I suppose typically speaking, though, you wouldn't find an average worker, uh, when I say perhaps burning 30 or 40,000 in middle management, going to you to, to uh, build their own house. Or, or what type of client would you have in relation to, to that? What sort of profile? Um, would there be would there be would there be a specific type of professional person, or would there be any would there be? Yeah, the the majority of my clients who are building would be um, would be professionals. Professional, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. know, I know. You know what Kate was, what Carol was saying there. Know exactly what they want. Yeah, they're generally professionals with with a young family or a growing family, um, or else um, people who are retired and are and have are looking to sell the home and, and and build something smaller. Okay, and you mentioned there in terms of particularly extending existing homes. Um, certainly, when we look at the older homes, we can see that they had some fabulous gardens. You know, uh, side, uh, side gardens, rear gardens. Have you had to take on extending any of the homes that you know maybe have only been built in the last? 15 years um, on housing estates and, and, and within developments that maybe don't have the very large gardens and maybe need a slightly more, um, I, I suppose, a more designed approach. Yeah, I've had a couple of projects um, which I kind of call built on a tight site. They wouldn't generally be um, the kind of the, the newer build, but I've had a, a lot of projects involving maybe small uh, cottages or small types of protected muse buildings where the, the site has been a challenge um, which makes a project more, more, more interesting um, and with those buildings yes because um, particularly if you if you need to go for planning there's very strict requirements on the kind of private open space that you have to provide to the rear and maybe you have to keep the new works below the pitch of the roof so it's not visible from the street so it, it's a challenge but once you work with the relevant planning authority and the, if there's a, 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 a conservation officer and within the development plan, then you can, and with good design, good, clever design, it's, it can be successful. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that maybe people who haven't experienced good design don't appreciate good design. I remember about 15 years and I was very new in the property industry at the time and I was sent a brochure for a cottage in Malahide for a client. And I remember looking and thinking, why did the estate agent send me this? This is nothing close to what I was, what our client was looking for at the time. It was a cottage. And then I then I flicked over the pages and this cottage had been designed, uh, had been renovated and designed. So from the front, it looked like the small cottage. But in actual fact, the site had been dug uh, down into the ground, um, down elevation. So actually, when you walked into the traditional cottage, mm. that was simply the entrance hall mm -hmm. to this new home that was across uh, two and a half levels. And it was so light filled. It changed everything that I thought I knew about cottage 
cottages mm-hmm. design um, and I think that's when I really understood the difference between an architect and an engineer design home there's such a difference as you flow through the property and actually 15 years on it is still one of the most spectacular houses mm-hmm. I ever viewed and walked through so um, it's interesting to, to hear what you can do on a small site with cottages um, and actually in South Dublin there are still that's one of the few types of properties that is still available and maybe available below five six hundred thousand um, particularly around Black Rock and, and Dunleary have you taken on many of those projects? I have um, there's some fantastic cottages um, and again to be honest, um, you can do whatever you want with them, subject to the budget. Um, so, uh, the, at, at the moment, um, uh, take it, if you purchase a property like that, again, you're almost looking at the same price to refurbish or extend it. So, it's 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 um, I suppose they're a challenge of a project, um, but they're also quite a. a a costly practice to do it correctly. Yeah. I would imagine because they can be utterly transformative more so than any other properties because they're entirely unexpected um, and I think actually the Irish Times is great at profiling these cottages or um, those very small um, brownstones in Portobello and you see them open up and they use all of their garden as usable space so as in actually it's a covered in garden so every square inch of the property and garden is used but it's amazing to see those trans- Transformations, And I think, again, that's the kind of thing that if you're not of a design, if you don't have a design aptitude, you just couldn't even imagine it without seeing these viewing or without seeing the mm. photographs. Could, just come in on that because yeah. you, you are, you, you do design as well. Do your clients typically have an, have their own ideas of the, the inter, interior design or do you, do they come to you to sort of give you, give them sort of some sort of ideas as to how it complements the, the house? Yeah, people come along to me and I always actually ask new clients, um, bring me along or show me images of work that you don't like as much okay. as work that you like. Because yeah, yeah, that gives a very uh, broad idea of, of, of what, yeah. I suppose for an initial meeting when I chat with a client, I'll, I'll, I'll find out, I mean, some people aren't interested in design at all and are happy for you to go ahead and, 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 and do what you think is right. Then other clients, uh, have uh, you know, very much want to be in, involved in the process. Um, so in terms, and people seem to be much more informed about design now because it's 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 That's more in the I media and it's on television to, yeah. And, yeah. and and so yes, people do have, have and travel and, and travel absolutely <clears throat> yeah, they have more experience and mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of more available even in terms of furniture and materials and and what people are doing here now than it was a long a while ago. So. Um, yeah, people are... And in know. terms of your students, I mean, yeah. how, how how in tune now are, are your students as a tutor with the whole design area? Are they... Are they uh, do you get find any typical student in terms of abstract or, or just uh, students, take guidance from yourself? Yeah, so I, I teach in uh, the TU School of, Arch- School yeah, of Architecture, yeah, yeah um, formerly DIT, and I'm, uh, this year I'm teaching fourth years. I mean, a design studio tutor, so mm. just in there a couple hours a week, which is great because I'm purely involved in the so it's a, a great escapism from the office um, and the students yes I mean in terms of, of we're looking at a project now where they're looking at alternative types of materials because in terms of the whole issue with uh, sustainability um, eventually materials like concrete will be replaced oh, with yeah, more friends, uh, yeah. environmentally yeah, friendly yeah. ideas but I mean the students now are building their own 3D printers um, and they're printing out and experiment experimenting with different types of materials um, so yeah they're being very 
innovative, innovative um, yeah, in a yeah. way in which when I was co- in college it was purely about design whereas now I suppose because there's such an enormous change particularly the energy side of things um, and they're very aware of renewables and, and again you know how the uh, uh, in terms of sustainability and, and the years and space ahead. I suppose yeah. as well yeah yeah, yeah. Um, is that something that's changed in recent times? Because I was actually reviewing there some of the, say, the ENZEB regulations. And yeah. um, one thing that I noticed that seems to have changed is that it is no more, uh, it is no longer the engineer's job to do this. As a, in fact, that um, sustainable uh, sustainability is now a factor of design, that it's not just about the build process. So you need to be designing in these innovative uses um, to reduce energy usage. Uh, are you involved in passive house design at all? Well, to be honest, a good design was always sustainable. Um, even before, I mean, the regulations are changing every three to five years. And yes, for 2020, everything has to be NZEB. But good design way back when from the start was always sustainable because you, you always look for the light. You design around the light in terms of the light in, from the morning, the afternoon and the evening. Um, in terms of, 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 of shade, protection from the elements, um, in terms of the location of services, in terms of the actual construction method. So a very good design, although it mightn't have had the insulation values that things have now, but good design is fundamentally sustainable. So then in terms of uh, incorporating, you're trying to constantly improve it. So designing a building, yes, you have to incorporate all those elements. Um, it's, it's not something that's standalone or separate. It's, 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 in, it's integral to design of any building now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And um, one of the things I know that you're involved in garden design as well. Is, is that, yeah, is well, that a, a part of your business? Um, well, I suppose the design of any um uh, domestic project, whether it's a one-off house or it's a refurb or extension, the garden is, is is integral to the house. So you don't design one without the other. So very much um, every part of the garden, you know, in terms of the connection to, and again, in terms of the light and access out to it, no matter if it's a courtyard garden or a much larger garden. So it is, I consider it, you know, I mean, it's cliche to see an extra room, but I very much consider it part part, part of the house. So we would develop all the gardens um, and then I'm not an expert on plants by no means. I know exactly what type of plants and the look of a garden. So we'd always work with a landscape designer in terms of, of, of actually advising clients on, on, on the plants that they need. Very good. And Amanda, before we let you go today, just for people listening in that might be thinking of um, tips for them to design for flexibility. Are there are there trends in design or is it a case that you're, you know, you're looking at your growing family? How do you design for future needs in your home? OK, well, what a lot of a lot of my clients are doing at the moment is um, in terms of the layout of their house, they're looking at rooms where they may have they may they may have um, a small children. So they're looking at playrooms, but then designing them in such a way in terms of lighting or even electrics or even for the place from the future furniture that they can be easily converted to a teenage room and then again onto a home study and to be honest a lot of uh, my clients children are going to be with them till they're 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 40 years of age before people can buy a house in the future so again a lot of people are looking at considering the size of bedrooms and then maybe ensuite bathrooms or even parts of the house that could be accessed separately or and then a lot of people are putting in um accessible uh, uh bathrooms and bedrooms on the ground floor so in, in terms when they get older themselves um they may be able to just live 
on the ground floor itself. Very That's good, excellent. Amanda, thank you so much. That w- there's actually so much there to take in. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amanda. That was Amanda Bone, uh, founder and director of Amanda Bone Architects. And as, as Carol was saying, thank you so much for being with us today on Property Matters. And that's it from us today in studio. Uh, thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. So next week we'll be coming back to Dublin and discussing the local property market. We want you to tell us what you'd like to hear. So please do get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I want to thank all our guests for being on the show today. Peter Brown was on sound. Katie Talent pr- produced. We're back at the same time next week. But as far as uh, as far as we stay tuned for it because uh, Bowl of Soul is coming up next. Uh, for me and Ca- for me and Carol Talent. Thanks so much and have a good evening. Thank you.